Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I'm, of course, Alex, your host, and today we're going to play part two of my interview with Coley Bailey, who is a licensed real estate agent in my area. If anyone has any suggestions or requests of other financial professionals that you'd like me to interview, you're always welcome to either shoot me an email or a tweet. And I actually just confirmed today that I will be interviewing a mortgage loan officer next week. So that episode will be posted probably the week after or potentially two weeks after. So if you have any questions that you'd specifically like me to ask him, feel free to shoot me a tweet or an email with your questions, and I'll be sure to put them on the list. Now, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let myself continue the interview. So we talked about the process of buying and a little bit of selling. How long does it take to buy or sell a house? Does it vary depending on the market? Yeah, and it varies depending on the property, right? So if you're buying a new construction home, you're buying a huge, nice custom home, it could take a year to build it, right? That's kind of the long end of the spectrum. Typically, it's about a 30-day process from contract to closing on a, on a normal residential transaction. Again, unless it's something like a new construction or if it's a property that needs to be renovated before you buy, those could extend out for months as well, so... And I imagine that's highly dependent on, like, region or, like, your local market. Yep. Well, and especially selling a property, that's dependent on how many buyers are in the market, you know, the speed of the market, the month supply, like we were talking about before. That's, there's a little more variation in in that that's really market dependent on, you know, average days on market. I mean, that's a a metric that we can track uh, for listings. Gotcha. Now, let me ask you this. If you're not a real real estate savvy person and you're not sure, you know, oh, it might take forever to sell my house or, oh, my God, and he just said it varies so much depending on where you are. Are there sort of a series of, let's say, real estate professionals that they could go to and kind of get a better idea? I would contact your local realtor. Realtor? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, Wait. You're one of those. Yes, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, as long as we got that straight. Local realtor. <laughs> so we already talked about buying, selling, the processes of both, a local professional that you could potentially reach out to. So if you're someone who's selling their house, obviously you're selling your house because you probably need somewhere else to live. So which do you think should come first? Maybe finding the house you're going to move into or maybe selling yours? Like which, what, how should that priority work? A lot of that is going to depend on whether you're in a seller's market or a buyer's market. See, it's all starting to come together now. Okay. Okay, so because if you have more advantage as a seller, right? So if you have tons of buyers, maybe one of the things that you throw back in negotiations is well, we would really like a 60-day close. So whichever buyer is able to accommodate that, they're going to, you know, they're going to have more weight in our in our negotiations, right? So and and what you would do is you could put it under contract and make that contract contingent upon you finding your next place and being able to close at the same time. Right? So it's a it's something that binds that contract. And now you also can do that as a buyer as well. So you could go try to buy and put an offer on a property and then make that contract contingent upon selling your current house, right? But the problem is if you're in a seller's market, that's a really weak, really, really weak offer, right? So 
if you have any other buyers that are offering on that, they're probably going to beat you out uh, because a lot of those sellers won't want to wait and see just if you maybe can sell your house. Yeah, it's uh, just one more thing they got to yeah, worry about. Yeah, it's just about. one more thing they got to worry about. Another thing to think about is how much it would cost to sell your house and then rent in in the interim. Because if you if you sell your house and you rent and if you can get a short-term rental or even if you can factor in how much it would cost to break a lease and and if the numbers still make sense, Sometimes it makes sense to do that because it gives you strength as a seller because you can work with any buyer's situation, but then it also gives you a lot of strength as a buyer because you can wait for the right property to come in. You're not rushing, you know, to meet a quick 30 or 45 day close um, and just having to take whatever's in the market just happens to be in the market at that time. You can actually wait until you find the right thing. Then hopefully you're sitting on some equity from that first property and you can uh, have a large down payment on that uh, on that next one that you're going to. All right. And then by equity, you just mean... Uh, so equi- equity is the difference between uh, what a property is worth and how much you owe on it. Gotcha. So like a, you sold your house for 200000 but you had maybe a $150,000 mortgage on it. So you ended up with 50000 cash and that's your equity. Right. Yeah, gotcha. minus closing cost commissions and, and all of that. But the yeah. pile of cash. You the have pile left. of cash that you have left. Yes, <laughs> the pot of gold. Yes, <laughs> but that. But the rental. I want to go back to that real quick because yeah. the rental thing is something a lot of people don't consider, but it can give you a lot of flexibility. The downside is that you have to move twice. <laughs> so, so there's a, that's the downside. Um, also, the potential of having to pay extra to break a lease. But it gives you so much flexibility and it takes a lot of stress away from the transactions. Because you can actually have each of those transactions just as a sell and then just as a buy. Makes sense. You're not trying to coordinate two moving moving targets at the same time. And I especially recommend that if you're trying to buy new construction. Because a lot of times builders are really hesitant to invest thousands of dollars on their on their bill to to build a house and do all the work that it takes to build a house if they're not sure that your property is going to be able to to get sold so it's really helpful in the new construction space and then if you're buying is there a certain number or just is there a number of houses that you should see before making an offer i don't think there's a specific number i th- i think what's important is to know your criteria so that you can actually identify, yes, this is a fit. No, that's not a fit. Also, on my site, if you go if you go to the buyer's guide page, you can get a strategy packet. And in there, I've actually got a list of. It's actually a graph where you can you can rate different properties. You can rate three properties side by side on all these different factors, and actually get a numerical score at the bottom, so you can know. Yes, this one matches so much more of my criteria than these other ones. Um, I highly recommend people do that. Most of the time, people don't do that. Um, most of the time, it's more of an emotional decision. People will walk in and say, "Oh, we love it. This is the one," you know. <laughs> um, and that's fine. That's fine too, because that's where you're going to live, and that's um, as as long as it meets the lifestyle that you want to live, that's the one that you should buy. 
So if you walk in the first house you see and it checks all your boxes because you sat down, you have your strategy that I want a paved driveway, three car garage facing the mountains. Uh, if first house you see checks every box, yep. there's no shame in just going ahead and putting in an offer. I don't think so. I think if you're if you've pre qualified and you know you can afford it and you've checked that payment and that fits within your budget. And this is, you know, something you're good, you're really good at is uh, helping people understand their budgeting. As long as you know that you're you're happy with that, and it fits, like you said, it fits all the boxes, checks all those boxes. Um, I don't think there's any there's any shame in doing that, especially in a really fast moving seller's market because it won't be there for very long. So, so you get to end up on the wrong side of these uh, multiple offer yes, situations. So. Uh, so when you do find the right one, speed becomes really important. Um, speed's not as important when you're developing your criteria, when you're getting the pre-qualification, when you're you know, sort of scanning the market. Take your time on all that. Get comfortable with the process. But when you find the, the right house, that's when you got to act quickly. And then talking about putting in offers, uh, a term I see a lot when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode is earnest money. Mm. So well, what is that? Earnest money is a good faith deposit that says we really want the property so much so that we're going to put money on the table. And it, typically it's a check that's going to get delivered to, uh, to a title company. You're going to have a third party who holds that money for you or an escrow company uh, that holds that money for you it gets distributed at closing so it's a it's a credit toward the purchase at closing so it's sort of uh putting some weight behind your words right like i'm gonna buy this house for two hundred thousand dollars here's the first five but you're not giving it directly to the seller you're giving it to an escrow company right in case the deal just falls through or they pick another offer right it just comes back to you. Yeah, and so in certain circumstances, you can lose the earnest money. Like if you, so if you don't fulfill all the obligations in the contract and you decide not to purchase, you can lose that money, right? So it's, it's not just it. It, it is skin in the game. It's not just, uh, hey, here's an early down payment. It's, um, it's skin in the game that you're going to fulfill the transaction. So sort of like a. I'm going to buy this house for $200,000 to show you I'm serious. Here's five. But if I don't like the paint color and decide I don't want it, <laughs> they get to keep that 5000 Right. Now, but, but as a buyer, you still, the property has to meet your, in, in Arkansas anyway. I'm sure this is a national podcast, but. <laughs> international. International podcast. Uh, depending on the state you're in and the contract that you signed, you do have certain obligations that the property has to meet and that the seller has to meet, um, or you can cancel and get your earnest money back. Uh, a lot of times this will be things like your loan has to get funded, uh, the inspection has to meet your your standards, um, or they have to repair the property uh, to, the, to the point that you're happy with it. So essentially, you're putting in that good faith deposit of... Here's this $5,000, but then you find out the basement's flooded or all the electrical's terrible or just there's something hidden that you didn't know at the time. You can get that money back no problem. Right. Or say your loan gets pulled and they decide, the bank decides 
hey, we're just not going to do this loan anymore. You can still get that money back. Right. And is that something that's... Depending re- on the contract. That's exactly where I was going. And Depending that's, on the contract. So and, this is why you need an agent that will explain the contract to you um, and so that you're comfortable and you understand all of those terms and obligations um, before you get in, before you, as you're putting the offer in, right? You need to understand that before you sign it. So... Do you mean to tell me that this is these are a set of terms and conditions that are designed to help you? In most cases. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually you're just hitting that checkbox and moving on to whatever software it is. So is this one of those cases where the fine prints can save you? Yeah. At least that $5,000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Coley, we've gotten our real estate agent. We've put in our offer. We've gone through the process, or at least a good bit of the process, uh, you had mentioned something about an inspection earlier. Uh, what is an inspection, and why should you get one? I highly recommend you get an inspection on every property that you buy, every home that you buy. This is where you're going to hire a licensed home inspector to come in, and they're going to look at the systems of the home. Uh, they're going to check the roof. They're going to check the foundation. They're going to check the plumbing and the electrical and the the air conditioning system. Um, and they're going to see in the water heater and all the stuff. Um, and they're going to see if anything is in disrepair, if anything needs to be replaced um, or updated, and they're going to make recommendations. You will get a report back. Usually it's 30 or 40 pages long, um, even on a house that doesn't have a lot of problems. <laughs> so the important thing with the inspection is that you look through that and you make sure that you're happy with the state of the house. And if not, you and your agent need to send in a list of repairs that need to be done before you're willing to close on the property. So two comments. First, it's sort of like a you put in that $5,000 of earnest money. You are now getting farther along the process. You get the inspection. The inspection comes back and finds that the basement's flooded. Instead of just saying we're done, this is a chance where you can tell the sellers, hey, I need you to fix this or we don't have a deal. So it's sort of like that. Right. And then the second comment is getting a home inspection is a lot like having your mother-in-law come visit. She's going to inspect every little thing about that house. Right. And if there's a problem or a perceived problem, you're going to find out about it. Usually. Not not that an inspector couldn't miss something. I mean, that's possible. But most of the time, they're going through it with a pretty fine-tooth comb and they're going to find... Most of the issues that you're going to want to know about. Bare minimum, they're going to notice the big the, the yeah. big stuff. Oh, yeah. Going along with that, what would be, uh, what would have, what is the final walkthrough and what does that entail? So the final walkthrough is your chance to make sure that everything that you had wanted to get done is done on the property and to make sure that the property's in the same condition or, you know, or a better condition than uh, what you had gone under contract with, right? So it's still the same house. Nothing bad has happened to the house. Um, and, and again, if there were repairs that needed to get done, they, they had gotten done by that point. And typically, the final walkthrough is going to happen, you know, a day before closing or the morning before closing or something. Sometimes they get pushed back. But, yeah, we typically like them to be a day or two before closing. And just in review, the closing what, closing is where everyone comes together, all the money changes hands, and you get the keys? Right. Gotcha. All right, and Coley, I got to tell you, that's the end of the questions that I prepared. However, 
on the Twitter page, I went ahead and I had asked before this interview had happened if anyone had any questions that they would like me to ask our real estate professional here. And I did get a couple questions, so we're going to move on to those. So one of the questions we had gotten on Twitter is, and this is very, this is a very loose answer I can imagine, is buying always better than renting? Short answer is no. Um, you know, as a real estate agent, I'd, I'd love to tell you, yes, buy a house. <laughs> Everybody should buy a house right buy, now, buy, today. Buy. Uh, but that's not actually true. You really need to think about, first of all, how long you're going to be in that area. Okay. Um, cause typically if you're not putting down a, a large down payment, um, and let's say you're in a, an area for only maybe a year. Okay. Well, most likely property values haven't gone up so much in a year that all the commissions and closing costs and, you know, everything involved in that transaction, your property probably hasn't appreciated so much that it eats all of those costs. Does that make sense? So when you sell it, so the potential earnings of buying a house, right. it appreciates in value. You sell for a profit. Those earnings might not necessarily pay for yep. hiring an agent twice, closing costs twice, yep. listing costs, all the costs and whatnot that go into buying and selling a house. Yeah. So because if you have to turn around and sell it quickly, you probably are going to lose money on it. It's probably going to cost you money to to sell the property. Um. And so that might not be the best financial choice for you. Um, also, you need to think about how much flexibility you might need in your life, right? So some people travel all the time for, for work, and maintaining a home is labor-intensive, <laughs> you know, um, or at least money-intensive. So uh, you got, you've got to think about how long you're going to be there, and you need to think about uh, whether you can stay in, in one place and maintain that property uh, while you're there. Otherwise, it probably makes more sense to rent, you know, because you don't have the maintenance costs. You can up and move and go wherever, and it's it's on the landlord at that point. All righty. Do prices of homes in your area matter between the renting versus buying equation? Absolutely, yeah. In most places, it is, and I say most places, let's say in middle America, Let's kind of exclude the coasts. It's it's cheaper to own than to rent if you're just looking at payments, okay? Um, and and also because you get a lot of perks for owning, right? So you get a tax break uh, for being a homeowner. You also get to sort of treat your house like a savings account that you get to sleep in. <laughs> it's sort of a forced savings account because every month you're paying down principal on your loan and that gets stored as equity in the property. So when you do eventually sell the property, you you get to recoup that money that you've paid down in the principal. And typically the home has appreciated at that point. So it's worth more than when you bought it. Again, that's market dependent. But uh, if that's the case, then it's sort of a a savings account that also grows in value the longer that you have it. When you when you factor that in to the fact that when you're renting, you're also paying a mortgage. You're just paying the landlord's mortgage. Uh, and then when you move, uh, if they decide to sell the property, they cash out on all the equity 
that you you've built them. that you gave them, right? So that you've built for them. Essentially, that money is lost to you. So you've got you got to look at how much it would cost for you to own a home and how much it costs you to rent. So let's say it costs two thousand dollars to own the cheapest home wherever you live, but you could rent for five hundred dollars. Actually, it would be cheaper to rent, right? Because it would be it would be probably the best idea to to rent and then uh, have you know a savings account and put right. <laughs> put fifteen hundred dollars in a savings account uh, and treat it that way because then you're not paying property taxes, you're not paying the interest, you're not paying the uh, the maintenance costs that go along with with the property ownership. But those numbers are. That's pretty unrealistic, you know. T- typically, but it proves the point. But that, but that proves the point. So you, then you have to you have to work the math the other way. You know, let's say it costs two thousand dollars to rent, but you could buy a house and have a payment that was five hundred dollars. I don't know where you could do that re- realistically, but um, but it, in that case, it definitely makes sense to buy. So typically, it's a little it's a little closer together. Typically, you know, in our area, it might be. $1,300 to rent a house, but you could actually own that house and pay a $1,100 a month mortgage, something like that. Yeah, and actually, a uh, real-life example, for those of y'all that are still watching, uh, <laughs> I actually rent... I had mentioned at the beginning of the video that Coley actually sold me my house that we have uh, sequestered a bedroom in. <laughs> so if y'all want some real numbers, when I was renting, I was renting a three-bedroom, two-bath duplex, like half of a duplex, and that was costing me just shy of $800 a month. But when I bought a house, I bought a house and all in principal, interest, mortgage, taxes. I It comes out to just shy of $1,100 a month. Now, it was, in my case, a little bit more expensive to have a house. But I don't have a typical 30-year mortgage. I actually went ahead and I got a 20-year mortgage, which means I pay off the loan sooner and to pay off the loan sooner, you got to pay more each month. Now, had I gone with a traditional 30-year mortgage, that would have put me at, I want to say it was about eight fifty a month. Mm-hmm. So in our area, it was actually pretty even renting versus buying. But I'm in a big house and not half of a duplex. Right. So for me, that extra 200 bucks is worth it. Right. Plus, of that, another thing you got to factor in is I'm paying 1100 now versus the 800 I was, but of that 1100 400 goes towards paying down the loan. Right. So if you factor that out of it, I'm making money by having the house. Mm-hmm. So, real life example for the two of you still watching. <laughs> <laughs> and both of you better click the like button. <laughs> That's coming for me. <laughs> So another question we had on Twitter is, is it worth moving if you can find a state with lower property taxes? I would just say you have to do the math, you know, because it depends on uh, what your job is and whether you're going to get paid the same in that, that state. I mean, if you have a, a technical job that's, or maybe, you know, a freelance job or something like that that you can do from home and you're all digital and you get, you know, you think you can make the same money there, then sure. Yeah. Save money on your property taxes. But also, you know, some states with lower property taxes have higher property values. So it's going to be a wash. So you just have to do the math. Yeah. So just not just property taxes, but sales taxes, income taxes, you got to kind of look at all of it together. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. I think, I think the only way you can really answer that question is to know 
how much you make, how much you would expect to make in the new place. I would break it out to a year almost and say, you know, in a year, how much would this be? And then you really need to also account for all the different types of taxation, not just property taxes, but like you said, income taxes, sales taxes, everything. And you really have to look at how the property would fit into your budget. That would take a lot of work to really know. (laughs) (laughs) But in short, it probably shouldn't be the only thing you look at. That shouldn't be the only thing you look at, no. Another question we have from Twitter is, what would be, in your experience, the thing that most people either get wrong about the home buying process or just don't know? I think they rush into it. I think they skip the first few steps of the the six C's, getting the credit lined out, getting your buying power, your your pre-qualification in place, in hand, knowing exactly this is my budget, this is how it fits in my budget, really get that price range narrow. And that cuts out hundreds of properties that you no longer have to look at. That saves you the most time. Uh, The second thing is going deep into your criteria and why you want those criteria. Because if you just open up Zillow and start looking through 2,000 properties, you're almost wasting your time because you're not going to buy 2,000 properties. You need one property. And it's it's more of a game of elimination than addition. You don't need more properties to look at. You need fewer properties to look at because you're only buying one. So get very clear on your price range. Get very clear on your criteria and it eliminates a lot of clutter, and it will allow you to buy faster and with more confidence. Well, alrighty then. And the last question we have before we go ahead and conclude this is: What kind of resources are available for first-time home buyers? There are a lot of resources available, uh, especially when it comes to mortgages, things like that. There are down payment assistance programs that different states do. There are government programs to buy in. Rural areas, if you're a veteran, fantastic uh, loan program for VA purchases. There's the FHA program. There are a lot of resources that have been put in place to help people buy homes. So I would discuss that a lot further with your loan officer and with your real estate professional. And for those of you that are still watching, both of you really appreciate you. (laughs) We're going to keep giving you shout outs because you deserve it. But one of our next interviews that I have scheduled is with a mortgage loan officer. So you'll notice that we strayed away a little bit from the financials of purchasing a home, but that was on purpose. We are going to have those specific questions to go towards an actual loan officer, and we're going to have that hopefully soon. All righty, Coley. So it's been a great conversation. It's been a lot of fun. We covered front and back two pages worth of notes. We really kept on trucking. Now, for the single listener that we have left, if they're interested in seeing you, had mentioned you have a website, if they want to see some of your resources that you have, which I assume are free. Most of them are, yeah. Gotcha. Most of them. (laughs) (laughs) So, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, more about a real estate agent, see some of the resources you mentioned? uh, Where can they find you? Homeswithcoley.com. Simple as that. Homeswithcoley.com. Don't even have a Twitter account? Well, <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, that's the best place. Um, I'm also really active on Facebook. So, um, Which Facebook page? My Facebook page is Coley Bailey New Home Specialist. All righty. Yep. Well, all righty. So all those links are going to be in the description below. Or if you are listening to the podcast, they're still going to be in the show notes below. Not necessarily the description. Depending on what platform you are listening to. Well, Coley, thank you so much for everything. Now... Final question. Okay. 
in case we get in case both of our watchers here or listeners are had a fun time would you be willing to come back yeah of well, course well alrighty. We hooked them, and we didn't even sign the contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coley, thanks again for being here. Hopefully, we'll see you next time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.